You can open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 4. We'll be in Revelation 4 and 5 this morning. But uh, uh, all of that, all of those words in that set were written uh, coming out of that passage. Some by angels, some by saints in heaven. uh, But all of it comes right out of the scripture today. And we're going to talk about worshiping. Uh, When we get into this next section, we're going to be talking about what we're going to be doing in eternity, and a lot of that has to do with our worship of Jesus Christ. Let's pray this morning as we go into our message. Would you pray with me? Would you pray this prayer silently? God, I know you have something for me to hear, so I'm willing to listen. You just give that prayer to God. God, I know you have something for me to hear, so I'm willing to listen. And God, we do pray that you'd be glorified. Pray that everyone hearing this message, whether in here or out on the internet, would, they would be uh, edified. And I pray that Satan would be horrified in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're turning the page now. Uh, so the last three weeks have been really easy. Uh, as you look at the book of Revelation, chapter 1 is about the past. Uh, we looked at who Jesus Uh, the vision of Christ that John saw. And then the next section of Revelation are chapters 2 and 3, the seven churches of Asia. And uh, we finished that last week. And now we go into the next large section, which is shall be hereafter. It's the future. So what we have seen, what are, and what shall be hereafter. And we're going to be talking about the future. Now is where things get a little crazy, okay? A little hairy and a little hard and and maybe even a little bit divisive. And I don't want it to be divisive. Uh, I've been told before that sometimes when I preach, I can come across as arrogant, like I know and you don't know. I I hope you don't feel that way. I I hate to think that I make you feel that way. Uh, I don't stand here on this pulpit and tell you that I'm the only one that has this figured out. I think I've told you and I'll continue to tell you, I don't know. I mean, a lot of this, the answer is going to be, I don't know for sure, but I do think. You guys know that, right? There's a difference between I know and, and I'm, I'm pretty sure, I think. There's even a commercial out there, right, uh, that talks about being sure or hoping you know. I think we know or are pretty sure. And, and pretty sure is not really good. But I'm not going to stand on this stage and tell you that my way is the only way. But I have to stand here and tell you from the things I've studied, here's what I believe. And if you don't agree with that, if you have a total different take on on what's coming, I'm fine with that. I can be friends with you. The question is, can you be friends with me uh, and and tolerate the fact that pastor has the stage and he's going to talk about the things that he he sees here? And that's, that's the best we can do, folks. And I hope you can... A measure of grace, really, truly a measure of grace. I say that because I'm going to put the timeline in front of you. You need to know how I'm going to be preaching Revelation 4 through 22, and it's going to be through this lens. And my lens is a pre-tribulational rapture. I believe that Christ is coming again for his bride, the church, and that's the next thing that's going to take place. And that is the beginning point of the start of the future. Jesus comes. The Bible indicates that he comes in the clouds. He doesn't come all the way. Foot doesn't touch the earth. He comes to the clouds and he takes us to be with him. I'm going to share with you some verses on that. But you need to know there are great, wonderful, beautiful, mighty people of God who don't agree with that. There are wonderful people who think, no, no, you don't understand. You're reading it wrong. There is no rapture. Uh, There's people that believe Christ comes here in the middle of the tribulation. That's a mid-trib belief. And that, I can live with that. I'm not, I don't have any problem if that's the case. But these next three and a half years are awful. The most awful time. You can't even imagine it. If you think that what we're going through with this coronavirus is a tribulation, oh, friends, this is a, this is a, a pimple on a prepubescent teenager compared to what's going to happen on uh, the coming here, the, the tribulation. I, I do need to explain to you today, because there's a lot of misunderstanding of the word tribulation. Today there's going to be a couple of sections that have small t's and big t's. Do we go through trials and tribulations? Anybody? Yeah, amen we do. Small t's, small t's. Trials, small t, tribulation, small t. Definitely. The Bible tells us throughout Scripture that we as Christians will suffer. Yes, but that's small t trial, small t tribulation. When we start talking about the tribulation, it's capital T, the, and capital T tribulation. 
Here's the difference. The things that we experience that are trials and difficulties for us today, they're brought on because we live in a sinful world. They are the result and the consequence of a sinful world. The difference between that and what's going to happen next is God is going to send a great tribulation. It is the great and terrible day of the Lord, as the scripture calls it. And it is not the result of sin, the consequence of sin. It is God pouring out his wrath. That is the great tribulation, capital T. That's God's wrath being poured out. God's wrath is going to be poured out on this world and the sinful people that are left here on this world, and especially on the nation of Israel. There's a lot that's going to have to be finished with his covenant people, Israel. We'll talk about that. So I believe, as I read scripture, that we're going to be raptured out of that. Some people call that escapism. Well, you just want to get out of here. Well, yes, I do. When I think about what's coming in that great tribulation, capital T, I do pray and hope that we're not going to be here. Uh, and it's not escapism. And we shouldn't act as if it's escapism. Because if you think you got saved and you got your get out of hell free card in your pocket and that's all there is to it, you don't understand salvation. You need to read through how many times in the churches, the seven churches that Jesus said to those who endure to the end, to those who not only have the white robe of righteousness, but you continue to put on that robe every day. Yeah, you have the imputed righteousness of Christ given to you, but you must put on holiness every day. And it could seem scary that his words to those who do not endure to the end and do not wear that robe daily. It seems to indicate to me not that you would lose your salvation, but maybe you never truly had it. Because those who have been imputed righteousness to them, Christ's righteousness for your sinfulness, they live differently. They live differently. So I believe that we are gone. The next thing that happens is Christ comes, he takes his church. And then there's a split scene. From now on in Revelation, you see two views. One from heaven and one what's happening on earth. And John goes back and forth. He'll say, behold, I turned, I looked, and I saw. And he either sees a scene in heaven, what's happening there, and then he sees what's happening here below at the same time. I believe what's happening in heaven, the church-age believers are soon rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ. We receive our crowns and rewards. I'll tell you what we're going to do with those in a second. And then later on, there's the marriage of Christ to his church. That's all happening for a seven-year period in heaven. Down here on earth, there's two periods three and a half years three and a half years called the day of the lord the great and terrible day of the lord the first three are horrible the, the last three and a half are absolutely the worst the antichrist is revealed the church goes up the antichrist is revealed three and a half years he breaks his covenant he made with the people of israel the antichrist is leading the revived roman empire and that's what we have when we start talking about the set the, the scroll the book the seven seals and we're going to reveal the seven trumpet and the seven bulls, a judgment. That's all happening here, but I believe we're here. And then we come back with Christ at the end, and there's a great and mighty battle that lasts for two seconds. I'm so happy about that, because the Bible says that we come back with him riding on horses, and I'm scared of horses. And if I had to go into battle riding a horse, I'm in trouble, and so is the Lord, because I'm going to be an awful soldier. But the good news is we come back riding on horses, and the battle lasts for two seconds, because all that happens is Christ speaks. It is finished. He said it on the cross. He's going to say it again one day. And when he speaks, I don't have to, I might have a sword out just for looks and just acting like I'm all big and bad. But really, I'm going to be behind Christ on his horse. When he says, it's done. Satan and all those unbelievers then are thrown in the lake of fire forever and ever. Oh, no, no. Go back. There we are. Uh, Here, there. We live Now then on earth for a thousand year millennial period where Satan is released, the nations are deceived, but then Christ ends it all right there and then we go on to eternity, uh, the new heavens and the new earth. I know it's a little overwhelming when you see it all, but we've got a couple of weeks now just to go through each section to talk about what's happening. So that is what the, the, the framework is. And as I go through that, I really don't want you to think that I feel like I've got this and nobody else got this. I really don't. I really, really honestly sit in my office every week and study and study and study. I listen to people that don't agree with this thought and listen to what they say, but I still have to be convinced in my own mind. And so I want to give you seven reasons today, seven reasons for a pre-tribulational rapture. Number one, Jesus' promise to keep us from the, capital T, 
Tribulation T, capital T, okay? This is not from tribulation, small t. We are going to face trials and tribulations. But he promises to keep us from the great and terrible day of the Lord. Luke 21, 34 through 36. On the screen, hopefully. Did I not give you that one to, to read? Thank you. Luke 21, 34 through 36. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. And then in Revelation 3, oh, 36, uh, John 36, finishing that up. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen. That you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Sounds to me like... We're going to escape the great and terrible day of the Lord. We're going to be raptured. We're going to stand before Christ himself. And again, the rapture is when Christ comes back in the clouds. He does not step foot on earth. We will be with him. We will meet with him in the air, the Bible says. Then Revelation 3.10, I preached this last week. There's one verse there that says, Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole earth to test the inhabitants of the earth. It seems to indicate that Jesus' own words, we will not face as believers the great and terrible day of the Lord. Why? Because that is God's wrath poured out. Why would we as his children, who've been declared righteous, endure his wrath? We are no longer subject to that. That's what I believe. I Just in my heart of hearts, I believe that we're not subject to his wrath any further I want you to leave today not scared, but rejoicing that we will not face the wrath of the Lord. His salvation has spared us from that. That's the first reason. The second reason is because we are currently in a dispensation of grace. You do know that in the Old Testament it was the dispensation of law. It was God dealt with creation differently during law. He had Moses and the law, and they had sacrificial system, obviously totally different than today. That was law. The church age came, and remember, God's people, we'll talk about them today, Israel, the chosen ones, God said, you're disobeying, you're not following, I'm going to open this up to everybody. Whoever believes can be my children now. And so we're currently in this dispensation of grace, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 19. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. God's not counting our sins against us, will not set us before his wrath. We've been spared from that. That's grace. Everybody say grace. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I put my whole faith and trust in this. Some would say, Pastor, you preaching this pre-tribulation will make the the church lazy. And just, we're in grace, nothing matters. No, it's not true. It's not true. If anything, the rest of my preaching through Revelation should spur you to have a heart for the lost. That's why our series is called Worship, Revelation 1, Jesus revealed to us. Then watch, we got to watch for his coming. Currently, we're in this area of watching, but we also must warn unbelievers that there's coming a judgment. We ought to be passionate about that. If you, like me, believe that Christ could come at any second, the trump will sound, an archangel will yell out, and we will be meeting Jesus in the air, and that could happen at any moment. If you believe that, and you believe the time is coming soon, as you look at the signs, the things that are happening here, and you start to say, I think it's coming to the end, then we ought to be passionate about people hearing about Jesus. We ought to be on mission. We ought to be warning people. We ought to, it ought to stir us. But we're currently in that dispensation of grace. And then during the tribulation, capital T, the church is singing a new song in heaven. Now this is where I want you to know the reason why I believe is that I'm looking at this is because the rest of Revelation, you're going to interpret based on what you believe about a rapture, no rapture, mid-trib rapture, post-trib rapture. That will change everything that you interpret. I will read today from Revelation 4 and 5, and to me it sounds like the redeemed are in heaven when the angel asks, who is worthy to open the the scroll? There's worshiping happening, and it's worship that can only come from people, not angels, because it talks about the sacrifice of the blood and the redeeming of people, and I believe that we're singing a new song in heaven, Revelation 5 and verse 9, and they sang a new song. 
saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. That's what's happening coming up in this passage today, 4 and 5 of Revelation. So I believe during the tribulation the church is gone. And again, I do believe that that also points to why it's so terrible. You remove the restraining influence of Jesus from this world and the entire church of saved good people, this world is going to be an awful place. And I believe that's the great capital T tribulation. The church is gone. Christ restraining is gone. And Satan is is roaming here and doing whatever he wants. Number four, this is important, mentions of the church in Revelation. You're like, what do you mean? Well, Revelation 1, 2, and 3 that I just preached for you, there's 19 mentions of the church. Starting in Revelation 4 through 19, no mentions of the church here. The the Bible doesn't mention the church at all during the tribulation. Why? Because I don't believe we're here. I believe we're in heaven. We're gone. Again, the church is mentioned 19 times in Revelation 1 through 3. It is not mentioned again until Revelation 19 at the second coming of Christ. What number are we on? Five. There's a clear distinction between the rapture and the second coming. Do you you understand what I was telling you? The rapture is when Christ comes in the clouds. We meet him in the air. The second coming of Christ is at the end of the tribulation where he comes back with us to conquer Satan once and for all. That's the second coming. The first coming is when Christ comes to rapture his church. The rapture is him coming for his saints. The second coming, he's coming with his saints. So I would ask people who don't agree with my position, how can we come back with him if we haven't been with him yet? How can we possibly come down riding with him on these horses to claim victory if we haven't been raptured? Some people think we're raptured at the second coming and immediately get on horses and come back. Again, to each his own, but I read it differently. I read it that we're raptured and then we come back with him. Six, there's a clear distinction between the church and Israel. Uh, again, this is another sticking point. And you look at Revelation, how you do eschatology, if you do not believe that Christ is going to deal with Israel, that that relationship is gone. I know some people read the Old Testament that he gave up on Israel. I don't think our God ever gives up on anybody he makes a promise to. I don't know how you can trust a God if he makes a promise and then he doesn't keep it. And so there are promises to the nation of Israel that must still be dealt with. And so I believe the church and Israel are not the same. God has a chosen people, but then we as Gentiles, not Jewish people, we're allowed salvation. We're two distinct people. Oh, I didn't read John 1. Let's read John 1, 11 through 13. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. The nation of Israel, they rejected him. Yet to all who did receive him, that's you and I, believers today, He gave the right to become the children of God. Children born, not out of a natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The Bible clearly talks about God's chosen people, Israel, and then us. We're grafted in. We're the new... The the Old Testament saints couldn't see what was coming. They didn't realize there was going to be a church age, and that's what we're living in now. The Old Testament saints... They expected a Messiah to come, and that would be the end of time. They were talking about it's ending now, it's ending soon. But they didn't see this whole thing called the church age. For those of you who want to go really deep, go to Daniel and start reading Daniel 7 through 15-ish. And you'll hear about Daniel's 70 weeks. 69 weeks are done. The last week of Daniel's vision is the great and terrible tribulation. And the Old Testament saints couldn't see that. And then we believe that the rapture can happen at any time. If you do not believe that the rapture uh, is going to be before the tribulation, well, then the Antichrist is going to be revealed. And three and a half years later, if you believe that's when we go, we go. But the Bible doesn't seem to indicate that you'll know the day he's coming. The Bible says he comes like a thief in the night. You will not know the day or hour. The only way that we can be raptured and it not be on a time clock is if it's what's happening next at any moment. If you put it anywhere else on that timeline, you know exactly when he's coming back. You can put it on a calendar. Three and a half years, three and a half years, end of seven years, here he comes. Well, that's the second coming. The rapture can happen at any time. So based on all of that, and friends, I can't stand here and preach what I believe without sounding arrogant. I don't mean to sound arrogant. Will you forgive me today? If I'm sounding like I have it all figured out, trust me, I do it on a, a, a solid foundation of jello. 
that I walk on carefully because I'm simply looking at Scripture, I'm weighing all the evidence, and I'm saying, here's, here's where I fall. But I've got good friends who don't fall there, and I love them, and they love the Lord. I don't question their salvation. I don't question their seriousness. So with all humility, I have to preach the word as I see it, and I would do a dishonor if I didn't. I would like to tell you I'm going to give you all of the options, but I don't have time to do that. I cannot preach to you the reasons for a mid-tribulation and then a reason for a post-tribulation, a reason for a non-tribulation. We'd be here for months to preach through the book of Revelation. I'm going to preach it through with this mindset that the next thing happens is the rapture. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18 clearly says, Brothers and sisters, we do want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Everybody said amen. Everybody say so be it. Everybody say truth. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Keep going. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. The second coming is he comes and he steps foot. He is on the earth. The rapture, he's coming in the clouds and we gather and meet him in the air. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. With that all said, can I preach today's message? Let's do it. The big idea is I must worship God sincerely. Hey, let's not get caught up in the time clock. Let's really not get caught up in the minutia. You can walk out of here and say, I love pastor. He's a nut job. And I don't agree with his eschatology, but I love that he preaches the Lord with passion. We should be able to walk out today with that heart. But we all must be worshiping God sincerely. That's what I see when I walk away from this. Our worship should be sincere. In our passage today, the key verse would be in Revelation 5, 12. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. We're going to hear that new song today coming from heaven. So let's look at Revelation 4. Are you there? Revelation chapter 4. We're going to talk about Two things today, the throne and the book. First thing we see is a picture of the throne. That's found in Revelation 4, 1 through 11. First, there's a summons. Let me read the summons. John, after this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. So we move now. We're out of the Jesus' words to the seven churches. All of a sudden, John sees a door open. It's a door to heaven. He is in the spirit, and he goes up, and he enters into the throne room of heaven, and our view right now is going to be above. Everybody say above. I believe that what just took place was the rapture of the church. The tribulation starts. The Antichrist is revealed down here. That's what's happening here. But I believe we are there. And John gets to go up and he opens the door and he looks and he sees what we're going to be doing in heaven at this time. John in heaven to see the future from God's view. B, we now see the Father in the throne. Let's look at verses 2 and 3. At once I was in the Spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven. Big capital T there. Big throne. And someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby. And a rainbow shone like an emerald circle around the throne. So God is described there on capital throne because there are some other thrones there. And we don't want to get confused. God the Father sits on the throne. Everybody say the throne. This is the same image we saw. Remember when the Old Testament saint got to look into heaven? He, the Old Testament saint got to open the, the, the little curtain way and he got to peer into heaven. And what did he say? He said, behold, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, seated on his throne. Well, now we have the same view from the New Testament saint John. He gets to look through the door and he sees God high and lifted up, sitting on the throne. 
there's talk of these two, uh, these, these two gems. There's talk of, uh, you see, jasper and ruby. Actually, it's sardinx is the actual name, uh, but jasper and ruby. Well, what are these? Everything has a reference, and you need to be able to look at Exodus 28, 17, in verse 21, uh, you can do that in your own time. Exodus 28, 17 to 21 talked about how the Israel high priest had to wear a breastplate. And on that breastplate, he had 12 precious gems in rows of three, four rows of three. And he wore those, and it symbolized the 12 tribes of Judah, or the 12 tribes of Israel. And guess what? <laughs> the oldest son, his name was Reuben. And the gem that represented Reuben was the ruby. The ruby. Then you got the other 12 stones. And the last stone that was for the youngest son represented, that's Benjamin. His stone was Jasper. And so when John sees God, he sees these these two gems, Jasper and Ruby. And it represents all of the tribes of Israel in completeness. From the beginning to the end, he represents all of them. And also you see this emerald cloud, uh, this rainbow, I love that, uh, greenish aura surrounding God on his throne. What is that? Well, obviously when you hear rainbow in scripture, you should think of promise. Isn't it awful that the rainbow has gotten stolen from us? I, I'm just frustrated that the rainbow has become a symbol for something other than God's intention. God intended the rainbow to be a promise from him that he would never destroy the inhabitants of the earth again by a flood. And now we've got this aura around him of this this emerald-type rainbow. I don't know how you do that. How do you have a greenish rainbow? But it's a greenish aura of a rainbow, and it's all around him, and it says, I am the God of promise. I am the God that represents Reuben to Benjamin to the 12 tribes of Israel. And again, my God is not going to quit on his people. He promised them to. He made promises to Israel. I know they broke his promises. I know in our justice system we would give up on them and say never again, but our God's not like us. Somebody say amen. Aren't you glad God's not like me? Oh, friends, I get frustrated. Man, when I get betrayed, I get hurt. I get angry. God bless my heart. I'm a sinful man. But when somebody hurts me or my family, I I struggle with that. I struggle with giving them grace. I try. I'm so glad that God's not like me. I'm so glad that God is not going to, to take his anger and turn it against his people that he made promises to. I'm so thankful for that. So we see God high and lifted up, seated on his throne. And then we move to the next one, which is the 24 elders. I want to say, forever people have been debating who these 24 elders are. And it is not decided. By any means has anybody determined it. But again, if you have a lens of looking at eschatology, you will see it a certain way. I believe that the elders that we see represent the redeemed. Us, believers. Who gets to be the 24 of them? I don't know. Jeff, you might be one of them. You're one of ours. I don't know. Jim Bongiorno might be one. I don't know. But there's going to be 24 elders, and they're going to be seated on thrones, little T. Not the big T. There's 24 little thrones around the big throne. I believe that those are the redeemed. Why do I believe they're redeemed? Well, their description is they have a white robe and they've got a golden crown. I believe the rapture happens, judgment seat of Christ. We've been imputed Christ's righteousness. Everywhere it talks about a white robe, it's about those who have been redeemed. Those who then are imputed righteousness. I believe they just got those crowns. I believe they just got those crowns in this wonderful thing. They get rewarded their gold crowns, which again doesn't mean I'm the first one across the line. It means I endured to the end. I finished the race. I believe they're the redeemed. Do other people think there's something else? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Some people believe the 24 elders are simply angels. Some people believe that it's, it's really neat if you think about the 12, um, uh, the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles in the uh, New Testament, that it could be a representation of those 12 and those 12 together. I, I tend to look at Scripture and I see it from this lens that if the rapture has taken place and we're in heaven, and John is seeing this scene that the 24 elders represents the redeemed. Let me see. Again, 
you don't have to believe that's who the 24 elders are. I will not. If we had to bet lunch on it, I'm not really willing to make that bet because I'm hungry. All right, uh, but I do, as I look at scripture and I read it, I do believe there's evidence here pointing toward that interpretation of who these elders are. And later on, we're going to see that they begin to sing this new song. So then it talks about the four living creatures. I didn't read that passage. Let's go back. Let's read, starting at verse 4. Surrounding the throne, big T, were 24 other thrones, little t. And seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their head. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumbles and peals of thunder. In front of the throne were seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center of the, and around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and back. The first creature was like a lion, the second like an ox, the third had the face of a man, the fourth was like an eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. And day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. So who are the four living creatures? I believe looking at this and with the description, there are descriptions like this in Isaiah. I believe they're angels. I believe the four living creatures, the four living beings are angelic beings in constant worship of Jesus. And this is where we get one of our first freaky views. This is where if artists want to do a rendition of this, these are pretty scary looking angels, aren't they? They got six wings. They got eyeballs everywhere. Try to draw this. It's really weird, right? Again, I want to make sure you understand this is representation. I think what John is seeing here is that these angels are constantly on watch and constantly in vision. And I think they're constantly looking to serve the Lord. Remember in in another passage in the Old Testament, you saw that those six wings were on angels because with the six wings, they would cover their feet, they would cover their head, and they would cover their eyes. That's why they had the six wings. Remember when Moses got before the Lord, God said, take off your shoes, the place you're standing on is holy ground. Remember when Moses used to go and meet with God, he would come back glowing. The Shekinah glory would just flow off of the, the presence of God onto Moses. And surely we knew that if you looked directly at God, you would die. And so the angels have these six wings. They fly around, but they keep themselves from looking at and and, and all these things and all the eyes. But don't draw the picture. That's weird. We do know there are different types of angels. Remember in Scripture, you hear about archangels. I don't know how it works. Apparently, they're higher up on the rank Uh, I don't know if they have an annual meeting and they call for the slate and it's approved and affirmed. I don't know how it happens. But we do know in heaven that the archangels, we heard of Michael. Anybody ever heard of Michael? We've heard of Gabriel. There's not just one archangel. Apparently there's a couple of high-ranking angels. I don't know who got the job, but uh, Gabriel got to come down and announce the birth of the Lord. Remember that? That's a good job. So we got different angels. Then we're told about cherubims and seraphims. There's The question of guardian angels. Do we have guardian angels? The Bible doesn't indicate, by the way, that you have a specific guardian angel. I do believe we are guarded by angels. I'm thankful because I need a team of them. Don't you need a team of them? I'm glad I don't just got one. Like, what's that Christmas movie? What's what's the angel's name in that movie? Clarence. Remember Clarence? And every time a bell rings, an angel gets its wings. I mean, where did they get that from? Silly. Uh, and and, and what, Clarence was a drunk, wasn't he? I mean, I'm glad I don't have a Clarence angel, one of them, to take care of me because he would fail and I'd be in trouble. No, I don't believe the Bible teaches you have a guardian angel, but I do believe the host of angels do go before us and after us, amen? And there is some protection from the mighty host. So there are different types of angels. We see four living beings here constantly in worship, constantly hovering, and, and constantly at the, the feet of Jesus to serve his needs. That's the throne room. Let's move over to the book. The book is found in 5, Revelation 5, 1 through 4. Did I, did I finish all of that? Let me finish chapter 4 real quick. Chapter 4, let me do verses 9 through 11. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever. 
They lay their crowns before the throne. Again, remember, remember what we're going to do with all our rewards. They're all going at the feet of Jesus. Don't be worried about how big your crown's going to be or how many diamonds you're going to get because you're going to have them for a fleeting second and we're going to put them down at the feet of Jesus. We're going to give them to the one who died for us. By the way, again, I see the 24 elders as the redeemed, the white thing, and then they lay them at his feet. And how do they worship him? You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And by your will, they were created and have their being. So the redeemed understand that God is creator and sustainer and that Jesus came and he died for our sins. Wow, only the redeemed can claim that. The angels can't worship that. The angels can't worship him for the cross. The angels can't do that because they, are not, uh, they don't have that need. They don't have the redemptive need. And so here we have only the redeemed can sing the song of worship that you died on the cross and saved me. The book is viewed by John. Let's look at what is this book or scroll. Let's read Revelation 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. Well, what is this like? I wish I'd had a, a scroll with me. You do know in old, old times, biblical times, they didn't have books with bindings, right? So when it's called a book, we think of a book. But they didn't have these Everything they had was written on scrolls and rolled up, right? These were rolled up. Now, I, I don't want to hurt anybody's impression about the seven sealed. Even on my picture earlier, did you see that it had seven seals going across here? Which is just annoying because you have to open up each one. I don't believe this what it was. I believe that this scroll was written, and what was written here is very important. So it was written, then it was rolled up, and that first part was sealed with a seal, part one. It was written further and rolled up some more and then sealed with a second seal. You have to break each seal to reveal each of the sections of the book. So if you're picturing this wonderful scroll with seven seals, I don't think it looks like that, but does it matter? No, but I thought it was cool. So you got a scroll that has seven seals, seven sections to be opened and revealed. Now I've, now I've messed up. My illustration makes it hard for me to read on. Let's read on anyway. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, that was verse 2, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. And I wept and I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll and look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep, exclamation point, that's why I yelled, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the seal and its seven, open the scroll and its seven seals. What a beautiful thing. So we have the book that's viewed by John. It's a sealed scroll. What is this scroll? It's not the book of life. I, I, earlier I made a mistake by talking about it as the Lamb's book of life. But I think what John was crying about was we weren't going to get to the Lamb's book of life until we had opened these scrolls. I think these scrolls are what's coming next. It's the opening of the, the terrible tribulation. And so it's a sealed, sealed scroll, but it is the deed to the planet Earth. You're like, what? I believe what's on this scroll is the deed to the planet Earth. And it's been sealed what happened in Genesis 3? What happened in Genesis 5? We have an account that sin entered the world. Adam and Eve sinned. And you might not like this or you might not appreciate it, but at that moment, not only did sin seal the fate of thousands and millions of people, but sin also sealed the title deed to this earth. Right now, the title deed is in the ownership of Satan. And I know you might not like that, but it's the truth. The title deed to this planet was lost at the Garden of Eden. Hang on, though. I got good news coming. The Bible lets us know that Satan is called the prince of the power of the air. The Bible also tells us that he is, Satan is, the god of this world. So right now, Satan's feeling pretty good. He's got ownership. Remember at the temptation of Christ? Remember when Jesus was there and Satan came down to tempt him? What is the thing he offered him? He offered him this title deed. He said, look, it can all be yours. And Jesus said, no, no. No, it's not, it's not mine yet. Yet. So you need to know that right now, currently, Satan holds, 
holds the title deed to this place. He is the prince of the power of this year. He is the God of this earth. And if you wonder why things are so awful and rotten, there's your answer. God is in the business of restraining that evil. He can only, he's got Satan on a leash. He can only go so far, but he is the power of today. Something's got to happen. That's why John feels this heaviness in this way that he starts to weep. Oh no, who is worthy, the angel cries out. Who is worthy to break the seal and open the scroll? Who is who's worthy to let us know who eventually is in the Lamb's book of life? Without somebody being able to do that, we're doomed. And John begins to weep as he sees this crown. The, the question is asked, who is worthy? Do you notice that there was no one found worthy in heaven, on earth, and under the earth? Where did the scroll come from? God had it. The Father, but even God the Father wasn't going to open the scroll. Follow me now. We believe in the Trinity, the God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they're all co-equal, but they all have different roles. God the Father did not die on the cross. God the Father holds that title deed that's been sealed, but somebody has to be made worthy to open it. It was nobody in heaven. There's some big hitters up there. There's Paul the Apostle. He's there. Certainly Paul can break the seal and open the scroll. Paul wasn't worthy. Well, then let's go really big. Moses. Moses is there. Certainly Moses has a staff, and he can make it a snake, and he can make it part water. He can... Certainly Moses. Now, Moses is there, but he's not worthy to open the scroll. Well, certainly Pastor Bob. Pastor Bob, come and open the scroll. No, not even Pastor Bob. There's some heavy hitters. John's starting to have a mental breakdown at this point. If, if Moses can't open it, and if David can't open it, and if Paul can't open it, if Pastor Bob can't open it, and, 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 and who is worthy? Can anyone break the seal and open the scroll? And an angel finally says, Ah, oh, stop your crying. We're doing this for effect. There is somebody here. Here comes the big moment. After nobody's moved, I love it, Jesus is just sitting there, and they're all looking, who can do it, who can do it, who can do it? And finally, the angel says, don't worry, don't weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. Everybody say triumphed. He triumphed. Who is worthy? God the Father? No. Is it the Holy Spirit? No. Is it Mo? No. Who is worthy? It's the Son of God. It's the Lamb of God. It is Jesus who gets up and he is worthy. Why is he worthy? Because he came on our behalf. He lived a sinless life for 33 and a half years, never sinned. He went to the cross, a cross that was for you and for me. But he went there as a perfect lamb of God, a sacrifice. And he died there. His blood was shed. His body was broken for you and for me. He died on that cross, but he was rose again three days later. Amen? And because he rose again, he is worthy. Everybody say, he is worthy. Oh, you got to start practicing. We're going to end with that wonderful song. He is. Everybody say, he is. He is. He is worthy. He is worthy. He is. He's called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. There's a prophecy about which tribe the Messiah would come from. It's found in Genesis 49. You can look it up later. Write it down, Genesis 49. And it said the Messiah who would come out of the lion. He's a lion out of the tribe of Judah. He's called the Root of David. It's also prophesied the Messiah would come from the lineage of David and fulfill all the royal promises. Oh, David was an incredible king. But his kingdom was overthrown. But there's a root coming up. There's a root. Don't you, don't you love spring? I don't know about you, but my wife's great. She, she, a couple weeks ago, she's like, I need a rake. I'm like, what do you need a rake? I got to go out there and uncover the stuff. Because there's stuff that's coming up. And she goes and grabs a rake and lightly rakes away. And underneath there, there's this, there's this little... They'd been there. But with... The proper time and the sunlight, they pop and they grow. Oh, the kingdom of David was overthrown by many, many people. I can't even list them all who overthrew them. But there's a root, there's a root springing up. It's coming to life. 
And that root is Jesus. And through Jesus, all these royal promises are going to be fulfilled. So who is it? Well, the book is taken by Christ. Let's read verses 5 through 7. He is able to take the scroll and open its seals. Verse 6, then I saw a lamb looking as if he'd been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. And the lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne, God himself, the Father. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Oh, he's worthy. Today, are you thankful Again, for us today in the now, as we see John's vision of what's going to happen in heaven, we begin to unravel what's going to be happening here on earth. We just are pointed back to worship. Let it point you back to sincere worship. We're going to be spending a lot of time in heaven around the throne. Multitudes in worship. Some of you are like, sometimes the worship set goes along here, right? And some of you are like, I have to stand through three songs, four songs, five songs? And you're like, I can't imagine eternity. That's going to be a long time. We're not just going to be worshiping. Amen, we get to worship, right, Tracy? Woohoo! Amen, we get to do it. We're going to be able to sing songs and praise. But there's going to be more than that. What are we going to do in heaven? The Bible talks about we're going to be serving Christ. We'll be serving. We're going to be busy. We're going to be actually having a task to do. They'll be learning. We're going to learn. There's a whole bunch I didn't pick up here. There's There's a lot I really didn't pick up. I got a master's degree, but let's be honest, I really skated through on that. There's a lot I don't know. I'm going to get to know a lot of new things in heaven. I'm going to learn about stuff. I'm going to learn. Then the Bible actually talks about this. You can look it up on your own, but Isaiah 65 talks about eternity, and we're going to be building. We're going to be building buildings. We're going to be expanding. You know, praise God, all these projects I have that I'm never going to complete, that dream house that I want, I get to work on it in eternity. My honeydew list, my wife's going to be like, honey, would you do I'm going to say, I got all eternity. Let's work on your list. We're going to be building, working in the vineyards, the Bible says. We're going to have vineyards. Y'all can, some of y'all are going to have Welch's, some of you are going to have great wine. I, I, I hope it's wonderful, but we're going to have our vineyards, and we're going to be building our houses. We're going to be busy. We're going to be fulfilled. We're not just going to be sitting there, you know, flopping with our angels wing. Holy, 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 holy. Let's sing that chorus one more time. Holy, holy, holy. That's not, I, hope you don't, I hope you don't look to heaven and say, oh, man, that's going to be horrible. No. It's going to be Wonderful. I used to listen to my pastor, Spencer. He used to talk about all the places he wanted to go and see. He wanted to travel. He said, some of it's going to have to wait until the millennium. He said, but in the millennium, I'm going to see it all. And he said, you know, again, this isn't written. This isn't written in black and white. But my pastor in Battle Creek, he believed that he wasn't going to be bound by feet and by gravity. He believed that in the millennium, he's going to be able to just fly like Superman. He said, I'm just going to take off, fly over to Italy. Check that out. I might just fly over to the Alps. And I love that. No, it's not written in black and white, but I sure hope it is. I hope that in the millennium I'll be working on my house. I might come over and help yours on yours, Tim. And then I hope we both can take off and fly over to Mackinac Island for the afternoon. I hope it's going to be like that. I dream. I dream how beautiful it would be to have no more sorrow, no more pain, no more suffering. Even small T's and little T's, trials and tribulations. None of that. Just worship of our Savior and, and fulfillment. Don't you ever just wish your job would be done? On earth here, it's never done. My pastor used to always talk about how he loved to shovel snow. Big snow and then it stopped snowing. He loved to shovel snow because he'd go out and he'd make these beautiful lines. And then when it was done, you could see snow. No snow. Finished. It's like that with mowing grass. I like to mow my yard because when you're done, you can step back for a moment and say, it's finished. But the booger's growing the whole time you're doing that. You're going to have to do it again. No, in heaven, I think we're going to be able to do things and accomplish them and say, it is done. I did. Wow, fulfillment. 
fulfillment. I look forward to that. I'm, I'm going off script here because I'm just dreaming about, about heaven. Oh, see, the Bible talks about what John saw. He saw a lamb. He saw the lamb was slain. He saw the lamb was resurrected. And he saw the lamb was a mighty king, the anointed one. All of that is in the imagery that was given there. Back to the four living creatures. Uh, remember when it was talked about the lion, the calf, the man, and the eagle? Don't freak out about that, but let me just give you some history. What are these lion, calf, man, and eagles? This is back to the four living creatures. Well, uh, in, in the biblical times, Israel was, had 12 tribes, but when they would camp out, they would camp out uh, three in each group. So there's four groups. So guess what? The, the, the tribe of uh, Judah was represented by the lion. The, the tribe of Ephraim was represented by an ox or a calf. The tribe of Reuben was represented by a man. And the tribe of Dan was represented by an eagle. They had standards like flags with these images on them. And they would camp in those four areas. Again, God's just talking about completion here. The imagery. And then there's the lamb. That's who he is. And then there's the songs of rejoicing. Let's wrap it up. Uh, starting in verse 8. When he had taken it, the four living creatures, the elders fell down. We talked about worthy is the, the lamb to take the scroll. And then verse 11, I looked and heard the voice of the angels numbering thousands upon thousands, 10,000 and times 10,000. They encircled the throne of living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. Be blessing and honor and glory and power forever. I love that Tracy picked songs right out of this passage. They wrote them right out of here. The four living creatures said, Amen. Everybody say amen. amen. Everybody say so be it. Everybody say truth. That's what amen means. The angels said amen and the elders fell down and they worshiped. Oh, this is a beautiful view. I hope you leave today and think about what's coming. We believe that it's going to start with the rapture and his church is gloriously going to be taken to be with Christ. We're going to experience things on the heaven side while there's things that are going to be happening here below. So this morning I asked the band to come up and close with me in this beautiful, this beautiful song. While they're coming, I want to go through this last slide. This passage 4 and 5 of Revelation gives us the why and how of worship. Why do we worship? God's faithfulness, his grace, his sovereignty, his eternal existence, his worthiness to take the scroll, his sacrifice to redeem us. He is worthy to receive power, riches, wisdom, honor, glory, and blessing. How do we worship him? We focus on God. We remember Jesus as the lamb that was slain. Remember God's creative work and remember God's power to sustain creation. All of that was found here in Revelation 4 and 5. So I go back to the big idea, we must worship God sincerely. Today, are you a worshiper? Do you worship God in and out of this building? Do you worship him for who he is and what he's doing and what is going to be accomplished? I hope you do.